Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're talking about why the Clippers are working. There, there's a podcast that's been lost to time. There was there was that break where I didn't post a podcast for a few months. We had a bunch of behind the scenes, like technical issues with like the hosting sites and things like that. And there was an episode, I promise, uh, that I talked about the James Harden trade, and I really liked it. So for those of you that don't know, aren't in the know, not following Clippers basketball, basically a few games into the season, the Clippers trade for James Harden. They throughout the Kawhi Paul George tenure, whatever you want to call it, they had been like a pretty good team. They had made some playoff runs. Kawhi getting hurt really that torpedoed a playoff run then the next season. So that destroyed kind of a big chunk of time of them there together. You know, they both missed a lot of time with injuries, da 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 da. But a bigger problem was when your two best players do the same thing, like skill redundancy of two-way wing that are pretty good scorers, can play make a little bit, and then are really plus defenders that can also space and play off ball. Those players are really valuable because they fit on every team. And they even it's not that they don't fit together, but when you don't have a ball handler, that's where it's kind of one of those things like <laughs> you don't notice it until you don't have it. It's kind of like when you don't have a defensive minded, like center fielder, shortstop catcher situation on a baseball team, because majority of the teams are built with those just sort of in the infrastructure because it's so pivotal to baseball. There's so many balls that get hit to the center of the field and the catcher is a part of every play um, that most teams prioritize it without even thinking about it. And then when you have a really old shortstop, that's like 39 years old and can't move anymore. And you just didn't sign a real center fielder. You're like, well, one of our, our left fielders now our center fielder and has the worst range in the league. You feel that a lot. And when there's a team without a lot of ball handling, you really do feel that. And they had been searching. They had tried a couple different options over the years. Sometimes this happens where teams try things. Like they they got John Wall, right? And it didn't really work out. Most, you know, John Wall coming off an injury. There's multiple reasons why these things don't work. But a lot of the times teams don't get credit or the fan base, I understand, get frustrated where they're like, oh, they haven't found a solution to this problem. It's like they're not even like they're incapable or whatever. It's like, no, well, sometimes you have a plan and it, it just does or doesn't work. You need to move on. Sometimes that plan does or doesn't work. And sometimes you're like, well, the last three plans didn't work. And they all had a shot at success. Like on paper, I could you could see the you could pitch me on the the way it all bounces right. But nevertheless, we'll get, we'll get back to the Clippers. But they bring in Russell Westbrook at the end of last year. And then you really saw that it helped the team so much because part of Kawhi and Paul George's strengths is, again, two-way players that can both score and both play make some, but not huge time playmakers. And again, wings that can handle the ball. It's not like, especially Paul George sometimes gets dancing on people, but their game isn't like 20 dribbles and then making something happen. The way that like a point guard is just like, used to keeping a live dribble all the time it like doesn't tax them in any way it's just part of like their dna as a player when you give it to a player that's not a ball handler like that is much more taxing on them to have to like live dribble do things all the time constantly make like 
medium like decisions that matter a medium amount just all the time there's just certain people it's almost like different jobs at an office like there's some people that are like really good at licking the stamps and sealing the envelopes and there's other people that are really good at delivering the mail but if you switch them like they might not be they might be like well i hate doing this other thing it's really annoying this isn't like it's not that i can't lick all the stamps and close all the envelopes but it's really annoying to do also it's like oh like i didn't even really mind doing it so they bring in Russell Westbrook, and unfortunately, again, injuries hit this team like they do all the time. <laughs> but you saw for a little bit, and even going into the playoffs, it was like, wow, having ball handling really helps really any team. You need a floor of it. And then on top of it, this team has a lot of talent and shooting, like a lot of defense, a lot of things you want in a really high-end team. And then when you plug Russell Westbrook's playmaking in, it's like, oh, <laughs> this is great. So then they retain him in the offseason. He goes from like probably the worst contract in the league or up there to a really, really good contract. He's making like $4 million this year. So that was great. And then James Harden becomes available for not a very steep price. They go out, they trade for him. They don't give up a ton. They give up a couple role players and Nick Batum, Robert Covington, some older guys that they still have some value in the league, but nothing close to James Harden. Maybe there was a, a pick or two in that trade, but nothing crazy for the price of a back-end all-star. Because so James Harden, it's so weird. I found myself not defending, but I feel the need to be fair with players. And I don't even like James Harden. I don't like watching him play. I was watching the Clippers. Uh, who were they playing? Memphis before I recorded this podcast. And there was like, the same possession, two just dumb rip through fouls where the Grizzlies weren't in the bonus yet. So you know, it doesn't super matter, but it's just really not fun to watch. I don't enjoy watching James Harden play basketball in any way, but you do have to be fair about how good he is. And this is a place where I've said it a million times, analytics shine in terms of measuring impact because sure, Harden's not that prime guy that can average 35 a game. Like, he just can't do that anymore. But he led the league in assists last year. So it's not like the tank is empty. So I really like that move. You went from, oh, there's a lot of pressure on Russell Westbrook to be like the guy ball handling. And there's some times, maybe like in the fourth quarter, where you don't really want him on the floor because teams just kind of stop guarding him. And like, there are flaws to his game. There's a reason he's only making $4 million this year. Um, but again, he probably would have gotten more than that. But I think it seemed like he wanted to be on the Clippers. So you get to Harden. And now all of a sudden, that gives you depth at the ball handling and playmaking position, which is really, really valuable in the NBA. Like, I talk about redundancy of skills, and that's not – you want a little bit of overlap, but not a ton. But if you're going to have it somewhere, playmaking would probably be the place to have it. So you get James Harden, and then all of a sudden, it slots everybody differently, right? Kawhi's still your number one. Harden at this point needs to be your number two. Again, not prime Harden, but probably like – Similar impact, probably looks a little different, a little slower, but similar impact to his first few years in Houston. If you look at his O LeBron, similar numbers where still a good player, still an all-star player. But the difference was, you know, when he was 25, it was he's at this level and, you know, who knows, could still get better. And now it's like he's at that level and just like, when is he going to get worse? And that, <laughs> what's that, uh, that phrase, mindset of abundance versus mindset of scarcity. <laughs> That's the difference in comparing James Harden now and then before his big boom like in the mid 2010s but so they bring him in they struggle for the few first few games and that's understandable it was basically their second preseason 
and they figure out what they want to do. They figure out how they're going to succeed. And then they've just been ripping wins off like <laughs> some games that frankly are not very close. And it's one of those things where it makes sense because I was talking about before Kawhi is your one, Harden your two now. Paul George is your three, where if you just were going to blind roster construction and be like, Paul George is the third best player on this team. It's like, well, is this team going to a finals? Because <laughs> that's pretty crazy. 37 years old. And it's like, no, no, he's still like back end of his prime. And you're like, okay, that's that's some pretty serious stuff. And then Russell Westbrook's your, let's see, your fourth best player. I don't know. Norman Powell might be better at this point. We're going to talk about Norman Powell later because he's a guy that I frankly just like, I don't know why. I haven't seen him play a ton in his career. Haven't done a lot of deep dives on him, but just done like a little bit of stuff here and there. I've been like, oh, it's like a pretty good score and the efficiency is quite good. And before I forget, I guess my player comp for him, I'm like, what's really the difference between him and CJ McCollum at this point where they both can score pretty good. Norman Powell's actually efficiency numbers are better. He's probably had a little bit of easier jobs, but both of them in my mind are like really good six men type, come off the bench, can self-create. CJ's probably a little better at passing. Um, Norman Powell doesn't give you a whole lot outside of his scoring, but it's very good scoring, and it's both on and off ball, really good three-point shooter, not much of a defender, doesn't really pass or play make a lot, but the half-court scoring is legit. Similar to CJ McCollum, I'd say, especially at this point in CJ's career. And I don't know, actually, maybe would he rather have Norman Powell now? But Powell's maybe their fourth best player, Russell Westbrook, their five. Maybe you could switch them depending on how one of them's playing in the month or whatever. But on top of that, you have Zubots, who I really like. I think he's one of the like most underrated players in the league. Just a really solid big, probably somewhere in the teens in terms of center, where he's your classic center, where he's going to protect the rim. He's good at that. His rim protection numbers are quite good. I think he was top 10 last year in rim protection here at Basketball Index. His rim deterrence is really good. He's huge. You see him play. Rebounds the ball well. On offense, you know, not doing anything crazy, some seals, some offensive rebounds, putbacks. He knows his job. That's a, that's a very important thing. Another guy they pick up, Daniel Tice, who at this point is probably like a D or a D-plus player. He's not that good. I don't know how good he ever really was, but he was a, a solid guy. But his greatest strength is knowing his job, and he'll get you some production. Uh, Zubot's another thing. Like, he'll just give you some production, some points, some rebounds, some blocks. But it's it's pretty quality production out of him. And he's like a C, maybe even C-plus player when he's rolling. So you have a lot of depth. Terrence Mann has he, – he's classically been – he's like a pretty good defender who's like a okay, – we, we call it athletic finisher. It's when you're an off-ball player, but you can't shoot. Like he his, his three-point percentage numbers for his, this year really bad. But he's shooting like 21% where that won't sustain – uh, but over his career, has the percentages have not been bad, but he just doesn't really shoot them. Maybe like two or three a game. The confidence just isn't there. So he he's another guy. He's not really playing well right now, but classic like defensive guy. I'm doing the thing where I go through the roster. It's like I do this in my head all the time. So if you're ever wondering when you're listening to this podcast what my prep is, it's a lot of times me sitting there and going through the roster, thinking about everyone, and then just double-checking the stats and then hitting record. But... Uh, P.J. Washington hasn't really been playing. Or not P.J. Washington. Who is it? Who's the uh, who's the guy? He's very old. P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker. Uh, he is probably the worst offense player in the league. Still probably a pretty good defender. He's 38 years old. But ever since coming over in the trade, the playing time's kind of gone away. 
I, I, there's a depth piece there. I don't know if he stays on the team. There were some rumors about him leaving, but that's the Clipper situation as of right now. And the reason they're good, <laughs> how far are we into this episode? We're like 10 plus minutes into this episode. Getting to my point. Now I've recapped you. I've got you up to speed. You're fully aware of the Clipper situation of their roster, what they have, because there's of the important things to have on your team. It's like you need scoring. You need defense. You need playmaking slash ball handling. I guess there's not a lot of playmakers that aren't ball handlers. And I guess you need spacing. That that would probably be the fourth most important thing. And that would be a little bit less important. I know it sounds crazy to say, but on an analytics podcast, but it's just not as important as the other three. And the team had plenty of scoring. They had plenty of defense, but they didn't have a lot of the ball handling playmaking. That's been addressed now, adding Russ, getting James Harden. That was like... In terms of injection of playmaking to a roster ever, man, I can't think of a lot of situations where you put that much playmaking into an already established framework team. That's kind of crazy to think about. But those are the things you need as a team. Now the Clippers have all of those. So in kind of my little checklist in my head, it's like, all right, you have those four things. You're probably going to be a pretty good team. You are, I guess, on the older side, which can sometimes be a concern in terms of you lose athleticism, you might have an energy guy, your defense might suffer. But like I said, like you have Zoo as a pain protector. You have, obviously, Kawhi. You have Paul George, really good defensive wings. You have Terrence Mann as your energy guy and a pretty good athlete. So you, you have all the pieces. Norman Powell extra scoring or it's almost like an embarrassment of riches and then buried on the bench is uh, is my guy bones island and he's not really even playing not good enough to in, on this roster so maybe i don't know maybe you tr- if you could trade him his value is probably not particularly high right now but for another piece that could maybe get in the rotation for the playoffs but point is the reason they're working i keep getting sidetracked let me pull up my graph i tweeted this the other night if you're not following me on twitter at taylor metrics uh, mostly basketball tweets, occasional baseball, football, maybe a movie opinion every once in a while. But uh, it's pretty. I try to keep it mostly basketball for the for the basketball followers. But the reason the Clippers are working is because they are sharing the workload at basically the most ideal rate I could think of. Because this happens all the time, where you will throw a collection of pretty good players together of pretty good talent. And on some level, your team's going to succeed. Like the Timberwolves last year, this year, they're humming last year. A lot of questions they bring in Gobert, And I was like, there's enough talent here to where, even if you don't end up optimizing it, it's going to be okay. Right. Well, like you, you still should win some games. Cat missed a ton of time that kind of threw a wrench in things. But this year you see it like they, they're they both have a lot of talent and seemingly pretty well optimized. So they're succeeding in a big way right now. The Clippers also I think you got to give I mean, this is a coaching credit. We don't talk about coaching ever <laughs> almost on this podcast, but it just dawned on me. I guess the coach is like somewhat in charge of this. So Ty Lu, good job. What we're going to talk about today, total offensive load percentage. What this does, it's an estimate to kind of say this is how much of the offensive burden that this player is carrying when they're on the court. 
So again, it's not exactly 40% or 30% or 20%. That's how, that's how the stat shows, but it's an estimate and it's a pretty good one. I'd say this and true usage are the two best usage stats. Um, pretty helpful in trying to figure out what a player's offensive workload is. So the reason the Clippers are working is because they have balanced the workload in an extremely optimal way. Basically, what they've done is, so I'm just going to like kind of give you the, the quick and dirty of what the scale is. So if you're like 10 to 20% of the offense, you're just someone that's like in the rotation, but like there's not really like plays being drawn for you. You're not getting like isolation attempts. Like that's just not happening. You're just on the court and the ball occasionally just finds you. 20 to 30%. So again, this would be like somewhere in the 20s, 25. Like you, you touch the ball, right? Zubots would be here. Daniel Tice would be here. There's play finishing. There's the occasional spot up shooting. Not occasional, like I'd say like somewhat consistent spot up shooters, stationary shooters here on our website. And guys that, you know, play finish, I would say for the most part. And then you get into the 30s and 30s are guys that are featured in the offense. These are what we call secondary ball handlers, maybe a slasher, maybe an off-screen shooter that like you run plays for, try to incorporate them into things. That would be roughly what the 30s are. Then 40s, you're getting into like star territory, like high 30s, 40s. If you're a star, about 40% of the offense. I think if you just think about that for like a minute, you're like, all right, that feels right. Like they're doing most of the work or of, of like anyone on the court, they're obviously doing the most work, but they don't literally have the ball all the time. And then you start getting to like 50, that starts being like crazy high load of like superstars. Like I'm talking 30 plus points a game over maybe like six assists a game where you're just packing. The only, like, <laughs> the only way you can pack the stat sheet that much is to have the ball a lot. Mostly like you start getting over 40, pretty much just good players. If you look at total offense a little bit on a graph, you start getting over 50. Those are like really high end all stars most of the time. And then I think 60 is like the closest that's like really been touched. I think Luca, maybe a Westbrook season there. You don't really get past 60% because you can't actually have a ball every play. You just get too tired. <laughs> so that's the the kind of quick how to use total offensive load. So just like really easy to think about it. Like 20%, 22, 25, play finishing, stationary shooter. In the 30s, you're you're someone that is like featured. Like Austin Reeves would be a good example of this. Like obviously he's going to have the ball less than LeBron, but there are like times where it's like, all right, you got the keys. You're going to run some pick and rolls. You're going to be part of this. Get closer to 40, that's star territory, all-star ter territory. And then 50 plus is like, there's not the, the, a handful of guys in the league you'd even think about giving the ball that much to. James Harden being one of them. Famously, Harden, Luca, Trey Young, these are the players. John Morant, I think, has been up there. Super heavy usage guys that are, talked about it earlier, very, very good ball handlers, excellent playmakers, and big-time scorers. So... Traditionally, throughout his career, Harden has been a super high usage guy, and he's come way down since joining the Clippers. I tweeted this out. <laughs> I wish I could like somehow like think about this graph and then say it into this microphone and then you envision it. So <laughs> this would be a good one to follow me on Twitter and actually look at. It's very, very helpful to see. But he's been a huge offensive load guy, over 50. He's actually in the 60s multiple times, so 
ball in his hand all the time, especially like 2017, 2018, 2019. There have only been, I think, one season higher than him all the time. Now he's way down to 40, which is regular star territory, which would be normal for most other players. But Harden's the guy where when you think of him, it's him dribbling between his legs at the three-point line for like 10 seconds before doing something. That's when I think of James Harden. I don't think of the beard. That's what I think of. So that's brought way down from you know high 50s, 60s, all the way down to 40. And it's basically identical to Kawhi Leonard. So Kawhi, James Harden, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook are about 40 in total offensive load, which would be star territory. So basically the way this offense is working is those four guys have the ball a ton. And nobody else really has the ball <laughs> almost any time. Even like Norman Powell, who on another team, his load would probably be like somewhere in like the like low 30s. It's like 10% lower than that. Just because, again, it's the one ball thing. But this is, again, a testament to the players buying in and to Ty Lu coaching that you're balancing the total offensive load that perfectly among your four players is one of the best cases of optimization that I can ever remember. And I've watched a little bit of Clippers basketball in the last few weeks, and things have like looked pretty good. It seems like there's a lot of penetration to the basket from Harden and Russell Westbrook, and then spraying to wide-open shooters. The ball's moving more. Everyone's kind of moving a little bit more. They're running some like off-screen stuff where James Harden is delivering from the top of the key, and he's doing that really efficiently. Saw he hit like Paul George on like a, a like a back cut, <laughs> and when you got your better players back cutting, it's when you have good passers on the team because good players are smart enough to know when a back cut will be useless, right? Or like we've all been there in pickup where it's like, oh, it's it, moving is pointless right now because this person has blinders on, like they're not even looking up. Uh, so that's always a good sign. But the, when LeBron's cutting, that's when you know things are going well for the Lakers because he is motivated and engaged. <laughs> but that's the balancing act here where the total offensive load, again, for Kawhi, James Harden, Paul George, Russell Westbrook is all almost identical. And then they're all in the high 30s. This is being balanced really, really well. And I think that's what's leading to everything kind of finding its place in their offense because you watch them play and like Kawhi's a guy where you obviously want the ball in his hands he's a hall of fame player so you're, you're generally going to want that but like you wouldn't want a Kawhi Leonard like 55 usage season I don't think unless it's him just scoring at will maybe like 2019 Kawhi Leonard you're going to run into some like playmaking issues because again he can do it but that's not the thing he's the greatest at uh, same with Paul George where Paul George, you, you want him scoring, you want him passing some because there is some gravity there and some vision. But if you were to try to run your entire offense through Paul George, which is interesting, Paul George is like this offseason, a lot of love for him where people are like, oh, Paul George is like most underrated player in NBA history. My theory on that, he's very good and a two-way player. Uh, can do everything pretty good, which that <laughs> pretty good way to be a good player. But I think it's the 2K thing. I think... The guys like him, guys like Rudy Gay and 2K are just unbelievable. And that sort of inflates uh, fans' perception of him. Because Paul George has only averaged over 25 points a game once. And that's not everything. Because you look at this Clippers team, sometimes situation, right? If you're on a good enough team, 
there isn't a reason for Paul George to average 25 on a team like this. But just in terms of scoring, like his efficiency for his career is like 3% better than league average, which is good. It's not special. He's had maybe had like two special seasons in his career. Not to say like he hasn't, uh, there was that one year in OKC. That was the one year he averaged over 25 points a game. He went berserk. It was really high level play. But Paul George is a good offensive player. He is not a generational offensive player, right? So again, bringing in James Harden to lighten the load, especially the ball handling load on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Also having Russell Westbrook there is kind of your, now as your sixth man in a smaller role, that is a pretty good, like if just on paper, you're like, I like that. And then you see the results of what's going on now. I've watched them a little bit. You're like, all right, yep. Seems to work on paper. Seems to work in the game. Eye tests look, <laughs> looking good. <laughs> and uh, the analytics are like, this is extremely well organized. So <laughs> that seems like a pretty good combination of why the Clippers are working. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Is there anything else I want to hit on? Roster construction looks pretty good. So front office, you know, big ups. Optimization looks good. That's a coaching. And then the players seem to have sorted things out. Russell Westbrook went to the bench. Everybody seems to be, I mean, there's a lot of hugs and high fives today. So it's like, all right, everything's going pretty well. Also, Clippers, was I watching? I don't know if that was NBA TV or Clippers Vision. I was watching it on. The post-game show was good. And that's hard. Post-game shows are tough. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at TaylorMetrics. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.